We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 574 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. There, many years ago, was a television show called Good Times. Uh, the show was before my time, but I, as a kid, watched the reruns. And one of the most powerful moments in the history of Good Times was when Mama Evans, off the death of her beloved husband, and off all episode having kept herself together, smashed a glass bowl on the kitchen floor. And she screamed, damn, damn, damn. We, as Wizards fans, on Tuesday night, watching the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery, a.k.a. the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. Uh, we were all Mama Evans. Talk to me, Mama Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> yes, Mama Evans, exactly. The NBA draft lottery, the worthless NBA draft lottery, shunning the Bullets slash Wizards yet again. Uh, the Wizards had the eighth best odds to win the draft lottery. The Wizards wound up with, wait for it, the number eight overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, the Bullet Slash Wizards now have participated in an NBA draft lottery 23 times. The team has received a pick better than the team's pre-lottery position just three times. That's it. Three times. And here is the best slash worst part. Tweet from NBA insider Ben Golliver of the Washington Post on Tuesday night. Quote, the San Antonio Spurs won the NBA draft lottery and the right to select Victor Wembanyama with the ping pong ball combo 14-5-8-2. After the first three numbers were picked, the Washington Wizards had six of the possible 11 remaining numbers, 7, 9, 10, 12, 13, 
and barely missed, end quote. Let that sink in. To all of you who are Wizards fans, as I am a Wizards fan, that is brutal that the Wizards came that close to winning the Victor Wembanyana sweepstakes. Absolutely brutal. Pain, my friends, pain. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What was, as of Tuesday morning, the number 45 podcast in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category? Uh, That is a testament to you, so thank you. Uh, Few things in sports are more frustrating (laughs) than being a fan of the Wizards. Uh, Oh, by the way, the team still needs a head of basketball operations off the firing of president and general manager Tommy Shepard. You know, we learned of that on April. April 19th. Uh, Here we are nearly a month later and very little news on the Wizards search for a new head of basketball ops. Uh, I would like to think that that's because the Wizards are working on something big, like, say, getting Golden State Warriors president of basketball operations and general manager Bob Myers. He, in fact, leaves the Warriors. uh, But yeah, I know. The Wizards getting Bob Myers, that's probably about as likely as the Wizards doing well in an NBA draft lottery. Well, I on this show will attempt to do well. I can't promise anything, but uh, I will try. Uh, Lots of conversation on this show about the man who is set to be the next lead owner of the Commanders, Josh Harris. Uh, Next segment, uh, we'll discuss a report from ESPN on Tuesday afternoon detailing the Josh Harris Ownership Group's financial outlook on the Commanders. Uh, The report is based on a confidential prospectus that ESPN obtained, and the prospectus paints quite a rosy picture of life for our team without Dan Snyder as owner. Wait until you hear what is in this prospectus. Uh, And then after that, I'm going to welcome on Corey Massasak of The Athletic. Uh, He's currently covering the San Jose Sharks, but he covered the NHL team for which Josh Harris is managing partner, the New Jersey Devils, for several years. Uh, Corey covered the Devils for the Athletic uh, from March 2018 until December 2021. And Corey is going to tell us all about Harris as Devils owner. Uh, You by now likely are familiar with Josh Harris as managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers, who on Tuesday morning announced a big move, uh, the firing of head coach Doc Rivers. But we on this installment of the podcast are going to learn more about Josh Harris as Devils owner, including how the Devils have gotten to where they are. And where they are is being one of the most promising teams in the NHL now. Young and good. A lot of optimism for the Devils these days. What can we take from the Josh Harris-owned Devils that might apply to the Josh Harris-owned Commanders. Uh, Corey Massasak of The Athletic is coming up. Uh, Also on the show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles, a tough loss for the Nats on Tuesday evening. They overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit, but they then saw Hunter Harvey, who was used as the Nats' closer as opposed to Kyle Finnegan, give up three runs in the bottom of the ninth a 5-4 walk-off loss at the Miami Marlins despite another great start by Josiah Gray. Uh, The O's on Tuesday evening had a nice win, a 7-3 win 
over the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Ryan Mountcastle, Mountie, uh, he came off the bench as a pinch hitter and then DH went two for two with a two-run homer and a double. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received some feedback to something that I talked about in the opening segment of Tuesday's show, episode 573. Uh, talked about what NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com said on the Pat McAfee show on Monday afternoon. Uh, Rappaport said that he has been told that the commander's incoming ownership, the Josh Harris group, hasn't yet truly discussed changing the name of the team. Rappaport said this in kind of a weird way because he first said that changing the name again is, quote, not something that's on the table, end quote. But he then said that changing the name again was not something that has been discussed by the Harris group. Uh, Not being on the table implies that changing the name isn't even a possibility. Not having discussed changing the name is different. Here is what Rappaport said. Uh, I asked that to people connected to the new owner, and basically the response was that's not something that's on the table. Like, that's not something that we have discussed. All right, there you go. A tweet from Commander Canada. Uh, Just listened. You said that you have a hard time believing that the Harris Group hasn't discussed the name. Rappaport claimed that a name change is not on the table. So what do you think that the Harris Group is thinking? Not changing the name or considering changing the name? Uh, Thank you for the tweet. Commander Canada. Uh, Email from Brian Young writes, Brian, although it would please me and many others to go back to Redskins, I simply can't see the risk involved for a new owner trying to build the revenue streams back up advertisers, politicians, etc. would never open their wallets if the team went back to skins. It's simple economics at this point. We had and have our memories, and that's the best that we can hope for at this point. Thank you, as always. Uh, Brian, thank you. So to whatever extent that political affiliation syncs up with opinion on the name issue, Uh, It does appear that Josh Harris is a Republican or at the very least leans conservative in his political views. So if it is true that Harris is a Republican or leans conservative in his political views and you combine that with him having grown up in Chevy Chase, Maryland and having attended the field school in Washington, D.C. and thus having experienced the glory days of the skins up close and personal, uh, my bet would be that Josh Harris would love to go back to the name Redskins, but also that he likely believes that going back to the name Redskins isn't feasible. Uh, I don't like making blanket statements like if you are a Republican, you are pro the name, and if you are a Democrat, you are anti the name, because there is a ton of variance with this stuff, especially uh, in this name debate. I mean, I know plenty of Democrats who'd love for the team (laughs) to be the Redskins again, but I would think that if you polled all people who are in favor of the team going back to the name Redskins, the majority of those people would be Republicans as opposed to Democrats. Uh, According to a piece by The Ringer in September 2020, Josh Harris, uh, between 2015 and 2020, made roughly $840,000 in political contributions, $650,000 of the $840,000 were contributed to Republicans. $190,000 went 
to Democrats. Uh, the Guardian in April 2018 reported that the incoming Trump administration had considered Josh Harris uh, a candidate for the job of Office of Management and Budget Director, and that this was something that had been pushed for and supported by Donald Trump's son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner, uh, but also that uh, Harris ultimately declined the job. Uh, the New York Times in February 2018 reported that Josh Harris paid, quote, regular visits to the White House, end quote, in early 2017 to advise Trump administration officials on infrastructure policy and meet with Jared Kushner. My point with all of this is that it would seem that Harris is a Republican or at least leans conservative in his politics. And if that's the case, then I would not be surprised if he's actually pro the name Redskins. But again, just because you're a Republican doesn't mean that you're pro the name and vice versa. Everyone's different. I am sure that there are plenty of Republicans who are anti the name Redskins, and I am sure that there are plenty of Democrats who are for the name Redskins. Your politics don't dictate how you feel about everything. Uh, but that said, my guess would be that Josh Harris, deep down inside, would love to go back to the name Redskins, but also that he, for a lot of reasons, believes that going back to that name is untenable. Now, the question, of course, is does Harris want to change to another name? But the problem with going to another name is the same problem that has always been a problem in this name situation. There is no perfect new name. There will never be a perfect new name. Whatever new name you choose is going to be flawed and is going to anger people. This is why I'm not one of these people who insist that the team has to drop the name Commanders. If you hate the name Commanders, I hear you, okay? I get where you're coming from. But what's your solution? What's your new name for the team? Because there is no perfect new name. The name change that would make the most people happy is going back to Redskins, okay? But that's almost certainly not happening. Uh, email from Eric Stork from Weedman on the Commander's quarterback situation. Uh, we on Tuesday's show got terrific insight on Commander's quarterback Sam Howell from North Carolina football radio analyst Brian Simmons, who was a star linebacker for UNC and for the Cincinnati Bengals and who worked as an NFL scout for seven years. Uh, writes Eric, as always, enjoying the pod every day. There is so much to comment on, but I will not bore the audience as I generally agree with you. But like many folks, I am excited about Sam Howell. My heart leapt when we drafted him at such a value, and hope springs eternal. <laughs> However, it is not good business to hang your hat on a fifth-round draft pick. Optimism, yes, but the management team should be playing the odds, which are not favorable. In my view, the team should have kept swinging at quarterback in the draft or free agency. With that said, any Skins quarterback whose first touchdown pass is against the Cowboys is good by me. See the attached picture of my wife and I sporting two pairs of Shady Rays. Thank you for the email, Eric. And yes, he in this email includes a photo of his wife and him wearing some good-looking Shady Rays sunglasses. You can do as Eric did. Uh, go to ShadyRays.com. Use the code ALGALDI for 50%. Yes, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Uh, well, the commanders this offseason, of course, have signed a quarterback in free agency, signed Jacoby Brissett as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I very much wanted the commanders open to taking a quarterback in the 2023 NFL draft, in which they, of course, did not take a quarterback. Now, if they did not take a quarterback in the 2023 draft because they did not like the quarterback's 
who are available, then fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. But if the commanders did not take a quarterback in the 2023 draft because they were, say, afraid to complicate things with Sam Howell, uh, then yeah, I do have a problem with that. My sense is that the team just didn't love the quarterbacks who were available to it in the 2023 draft. But the key word there is available. Three of the first four picks in the draft were quarterbacks. So the Carolina Panthers took Alabama's Bryce Young with the number one pick. The Houston Texans took Ohio State's C.J. Stroud with the number two pick. And the Indianapolis Colts took Florida's Anthony Richardson with the number four pick. If trading up for any of those guys was doable, would the commanders have done so? Uh, Fascinating question. Uh, We have had rumblings that the team was interested in Anthony Richardson. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB in a mock draft that he put out on April 26th, quote, I did get a little late information that Washington exec Marty Herney has advocated for Richardson, end quote. Uh, Was that a smokescreen from the commanders or were they actually truly interested in trading up to take Anthony Richardson? Well, we don't know the answer to that, but we do know that if you have a case, you should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, Heck, victims of shady lawyers, if your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, before we get to our guest, Corey Massasak of The Athletic, to discuss how incoming Commander's owner Josh Harris has done as owner of the New Jersey Devils, uh, we on Tuesday afternoon had an interesting report regarding the Josh Harris group that is purchasing the Commanders. Uh, The report was from ESPN senior writer Seth Wickersham and ESPN Commanders insider John Keim. Uh, The report was based on a prospectus prepared by Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment and its advisors. Uh, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment was founded by Josh Harris and David Blitzer. 
uh, and is the parent company of the teams and entities that Harris owns, including the Devils and the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, As you may recall, the big monumental, oh-so-glorious announcement from this past Friday afternoon. The announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris on behalf of the Harris Ownership Group that the Snyders have agreed to sell the commanders to the Harris Group. Uh, That announcement included a statement from Harris in which he referenced David Blitzer, quote, on behalf of our entire ownership group, including Mitch Rails, my longtime sports business partner, David Blitzer, and Urban Magic Johnson, I want to express how excited we are to be considered by the NFL to be the next owners of the Washington Commanders and how committed we are to delivering a championship-caliber franchise for this city and its fan base, end quote. Uh, Anyway, this prospectus that was the basis for this ESPN report that came out on Tuesday afternoon had some juicy stuff. Now, somehow, (laughs) this prospectus was obtained by ESPN. Who gave the prospectus to ESPN is a question worth asking. Uh, There are a lot of possibilities. Uh, The prospectus per the ESPN report was dated March 2023, but was, quote, among a number of versions of the prospectus that Harris's team assembled throughout the bid process, end quote. So it sounds like this prospectus has, or at the very least, versions of this prospectus have been handed out to a number of people during this process of the sale of the commanders. Uh, Hard to say who gave this prospectus to ESPN, but I do wonder about that. And I wonder if Josh Harris is angry about this prospectus being given to ESPN. Although, hey, maybe Harris or someone in or connected to the Harris group is the one who leaked this prospectus. You never know with this stuff. Uh, The prospectus for the ESPN report was a 43-page document titled, quote, Commander's Investment Opportunity, end quote, and labeled, quote, Privileged and Confidential, end quote. Uh, Well, so much for that confidential part. Uh, The biggest item in the prospectus for the ESPN report, the financial windfall that the Josh Harris Group is predicting for the commanders off Dan Snyder no longer being the team's owner. This is something. Uh, The prospectus for the ESPN report said that the commanders for the 2023 season made $173 million in local revenue. Uh, Local revenue is defined as dollars generated from tickets, sponsorships, parking, and other team activities. But in a base estimate, Josh Harris estimates that local revenue would more than double to $380 million by the 2031 season and could hit $466 million that season if the team builds a new stadium. How about that? Local revenue for the 2023 season, $173 million. Projected local revenue for the 2031 season, $380 million. Could hit $466 million if the team builds a new stadium. How about that? Uh, What so many of us have suspected is in fact argued in this uh, high-level prospectus put together by the Josh Harris Group. Danny Boy being out will mean a whole lot more money coming in. Uh, Read the prospectus per the ESPN report. Quote, the commanders historically ranked top in the league across all revenue metrics and attendance. However, the team has significantly spiraled as a result of allegations against current ownership. As ownership changes, we see opportunities to substantially drive local revenue and bring the team back to a top NFL market. End quote. Also in the prospectus per the ESPN report, quote, 
The team's passionate fan base, historical loyalty, and strong markets suggest there is ample room to grow, end quote. Uh, I completely agree with that. Uh, I do not believe that the team is dead or that the fan base is dead or that the majority of disengaged fans are impossible to bring back. Uh, Look, it's going to take a lot of work to bring people back, no doubt. And bringing them back won't be easy, no doubt. And the team won't bring everyone back, no doubt. But the team, I believe, can bring a lot of people back if the team wins and if the team operates and functions in a quality way. And those are big ifs, no doubt. Uh, The prospectus per the ESPN report also addressed a new stadium for the commanders. Uh, The prospectus estimated that the team will have a new stadium by 2031. Uh, That seems rather optimistic. Uh, And that Virginia would offer the best incentives for a new stadium up to $1.5 billion. Uh, Now, people on Tuesday afternoon made a big deal out of the Virginia thing Uh, as if that means that Virginia is in the lead for a new stadium. Uh, Maybe Virginia could be in the lead for a new stadium, but it has been suspected slash known for a while that Virginia most likely would offer the most money for a new stadium. Uh, The prospectus per the ESPN report had other bullish projections, including saying that the team's gate revenue, which has fallen by an inflation-adjusted two-thirds since 2008, to $58 million for the 2022 season was projected to rise to $127 million by the 2031 season, uh, and that a new naming rights deal for the team stadium could be worth at least $30 million annually for the team. Uh, This prospectus clearly was a glass half full, heck, a glass three quarters full outlook on business for the commanders once Dan Snyder is out. How true, how accurate all of these numbers are, impossible to say. But as you probably know, uh, I'm a big numbers guy. So I found the uh, actual quantifying of all of this with numbers to be really interesting. Uh, Also, the prospectus per ESPN uh, put price tags on the land at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland, and on the team facility land in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, the prospectus per ESPN had the land at the FedEx Field site in Landover worth about $284 million, and the team facility land in Ashburn worth about $441 million. Uh, that is notable. You know, when we say that the Josh Harris Group is paying $6.05 billion for the commanders. The $6.05 billion price uh, isn't just for the team. Uh, the price is for the team, FedEx Field, land around FedEx Field, and the team facility. And that land for the team facility uh, is very valuable. Ashburn, Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia, a very pricey area. And so when it comes to paying for a new stadium uh, and a new team facility, uh, part of that cost presumably is going to be offset by the team selling the FedEx field land and selling that land uh, for the current team facility. Uh, And speaking of FedEx field, uh, oh, so wonderful FedEx field, the NFL paradise (laughs) that is FedEx field. Uh, The prospectus per the ESPN report promises upgrades to FedEx field while we await the new stadium. Uh, The prospectus per the report said that the Josh Harris group is assuming the need for a hundred million dollars for quote, immediate structural repairs, end quote, and maintenance to FedEx Field. 
yes, immediate structural repairs, a very key phrase when it comes to FedEx Field. So a lot to take in with this report. This isn't like a bad report. I mean, when I saw that Seth Wickersham was one of the authors of this report, I said to myself, uh-oh, what's wrong with Josh Harris now? Because Wickersham and another ESPN senior writer, Don Van Nata Jr., have written multiple reports uh, just bludgeoning Dan Snyder. Uh, This report is not one of those reports, but this report is significant if for no other reason than the quantifying of what Josh Harris sees via the exit of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders. Danny being out will be good for Commanders business, so says the man replacing Danny. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, the incoming lead owner of our commanders, Josh Harris, of course, is not new to being a sports owner. Uh, He is the managing partner of the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. He is the managing partner of the NHL's New Jersey Devils. Uh, He also was part owner of the English Premier League soccer team at Crystal Palace FC. A lot of talk about Harris's 76ers over these last few days with the Sixers' horrendous performance in Game 7 on Sunday. Uh, A humiliating 112-88 loss at the Boston Celtics in the second round of the NBA playoffs. And then we had the big news on Tuesday morning, the 76ers announcing the firing of head coach Doc Rivers. Uh, He had been the Sixers head coach since October 2020. He, over three seasons as Sixers head coach, had regular season win totals of 49, 51, and 54, made the playoffs in each season, won a playoff series in each season, but was eliminated in the Eastern Conference semis in each season. And now he's out. 
championship or bust if you're Sixers head coach under Josh Harris. Uh, Harris's purchase of the Sixers was finalized in October 2011. Harris's purchase of the Devils was finalized in August 2013. We on episode 557 of this podcast focused on Harris's ownership of the Sixers with a special guest, John Kincaid, host of the John Kincaid Show on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. And by the way, John, last Friday, May 12th, uh, announced that he has colon cancer. So we certainly wish John the best. Uh, John was really good at discussing Harris's ownership of the Sixers. Again, that was episode 557 of this podcast. And right now, we're going to focus on Josh Harris's ownership of the Devils. As I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Corey Massasak of The Athletic. Uh, Corey's currently covering the San Jose Sharks, but he covered the Devils for The Athletic from March 2018 until December 2021. He also covered the Capitals for years uh, for the Washington Times and for what was then CSN Washington. Now was NBC Sports Washington. Uh, Corey, like me, went to the University of Maryland, although I don't believe that we crossed paths there. Uh, but you can follow Corey on Twitter at CMassasak22. Hey, Corey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, So the Devils under Josh Harris, uh, they've made the Stanley Cup playoffs just twice in 10 seasons, but one of the playoff appearances was this season. Uh, The Devils for the 2022-2023 NHL regular season finished second in the Metropolitan Division, third in the Eastern Conference with 112 points, beat the New York Rangers in seven games in the first round of the playoffs, uh, then lost to the Carolina Hurricanes in five games in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, The Devils now are seen as one of the best young teams at hockey, but it has uh, taken a while (laughs) to get to this point. Overall, how would you say that Harris has done as Devils owner? Well, I I think, you know, on the ice, I would say, look, whenever he and uh, David Blitzer bought the team, they were sort of in a you know, they were they were in one they were in this spot where it was like the team was aging and um, basically they at some point along the way there they they finally after sort of after they parted ways with with Lou Lamorello they decided it was finally time to do a kind of a full scale rebuilding project and that I would say mo- I mean most of the time that they've they've owned the team has been you know navigating the process of this of this rebuilding thing and you know and then there was definitely points along the way where people thought they were ready to go and it was time to win and then it wasn't time to win so there there was it was definitely not like a linear you know just a straight line to where they are now which is you know they have one of the best young cores in the league and they just made the playoffs you know for the first time in five years and i would say the first whatever it's been nine or ten years of their tenure has been you know sort of a lot of building and a lot of losses the next 10 years if, if they continue to own the team is, is probably going to look a lot better so you look at the timeline uh josh harris as i said earlier finalized his purchase of the devils in august 2013 uh the devils missed the stanley cup playoffs for each of the next four years 2014 through 2017 then made the playoffs in 2018 then missed the playoffs for each of the next four years 2019 through 2022 including finishing last or next to last in the team's division each season uh now has made the playoffs for this season uh but what has gone down with all of that like obviously the plan when you buy a team isn't to miss the playoffs for four consecutive seasons then make the playoffs and then miss the playoffs for each of the next four seasons I, I would say at the time at the time they started to do this the, the original like hey let's let's rebuild Lou Lamoureux left it was at the beginning of the 2015-16 season Lou Lou is as he's shown in a couple of other markets too he's just been very anti rebuilding he's he's a win at all costs every year kind of guy so 2015-16 they start the rebuild and they're just 
I've had, <laughs> this, I've had, this, this is sort of a, a, a conversation or a debate that Devils fans have had for a long time. But like they, they just they were at the absolute bottom. Like they were, they had one of the worst rosters in the league, and they just had no prospects either. So they were just they were kind of building from scratch. Without they made a couple, you know, like they they won the lottery. They got the number one pick. They they hit they kind of hit the lottery with the, this trade where they trade for Taylor Hall. He ends up winning the MVP of the year. They make the playoffs. That was sort of like it was a it was a huge surprise that they made the playoffs that year. I think the people in charge, like the the GM and well, they they knew that they weren't necessarily ready for like where they are now, where it's like okay, we're going to win for the next ten years. They weren't there in 2018. That was like a, just a a kind of a pop up surprise, and so fans got frustrated because they didn't do a whole lot the next off season because they knew they weren't ready to win, and so consistently anyway, and so it's sort of. Um, you know, they they actually the following year they won the lottery again and got another number one pick. Uh, yeah, no, it was just it was just a lot of like, you know, the NHL has, has this weird thing where it's it's kind of now a debate as to whether or not teams should do that. I I cover a team in San Jose where it's like, should they just blow it all up and start over? But are people really willing to wait eight years or seven or eight years for it to 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 turn into what the Devils have now? Yeah, and we've actually had that conversation with the Capitals. Uh, Josh Harris, as 76ers owner, famously greenlit the process, uh, the all-in on analytics rebuild. Has there been a guiding principle or a guiding philosophy for the Devils uh, with Harris as owner? There are some you know, kind of parallels with the process, but it hasn't been. It's not. It hasn't been that. It's it's been something different. Uh, I think part of it was the the people that have been in charge below him, like. You know, he's had multiple general managers now, and and, and Ray Shiro wasn't really a he wasn't a big analytics guy, so he was like he was not like the the seventy sixers guys really at all. You know, like they they were basically like they just tried to stay patient. They you know, I mean, the real, I mean, winning the you know, getting the two number one picks has really helped. That's you know, those two guys are kind of the the foundation of everything they have there. But you know, I, I mean, I, I think there are some things like from. Um, you know, from the outside, he was willing to be patient. Uh, there, I mean, I had definitely heard things internally, like where there were times when everybody was kind of at odds about whether or not, like, should they should they try to sign this big name free agent? Should they try to trade for this guy? Should they try to speed up this quote unquote process? I, I, I think that the overall picture is like you look back at it and you're like, well, you can't. It's it's hard to say that things went wrong per se because it just took a little bit longer than people expected, and there, the thing that they were that they were like kind of hunting the thing that they wanted is about to happen we're talking about the commander's incoming owner and the devil's current owner josh harris with Corey massasak of the athletic uh, Corey covered the devils for the athletic from march 2018 until december 2021 one of the things that particularly excites me about josh harris being the lead owner of the commanders is how much of a champion of analytics he has been uh the devils in april 2019 hired this guy tyler dello as vice president of analytics of him having been a leading authority in NHL analytics for years. He founded the website mc79hockey.com, which was one of the first analytics-based blogs for hockey. Uh, what can you tell us about Dello with the Devils and about Harris and analytics with the Devils? That was a pretty big pivot for them. Like they, The timeline is kind of weird. They hired Tyler and Matt Kane, who was another big guy in the hockey analytics world, and those two have they have added more people since, but they were, they were the first two guys that they hired and they actually hired them before Ray Shiro was let go. But also Tyler, uh, Tyler Dello also like kind of, he reported to the owner, not to the GM. It was sort of a, maybe everybody should have seen the writing on the wall then whenever, whenever that happened. But yeah, they have definitely, 
um, since since Delo and Kane have been at, have been hired, there's definitely been more of a commitment from the organization to it's sort of this you know in in the NBA everybody wants all of the analytics guys and everybody wants to use all the information and in hockey it hasn't been like that necessarily it's been more of a tug of war at times and so I think that yeah I think the Devils did sort of make a commitment to like hey look we're gonna we're we're going in that direction and we're gonna listen to these guys so yeah by hiring two of the people who are probably the most prominent among the most prominent people in the, in that sort of community for a long time was definitely a shift uh, for, for, for New Jersey. With the Devils finally becoming good again here, uh, have analytics played a key role in that or not so much? Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so weird in hockey because like it's the same thing like like the, the Capitals have one of the most like kind of most famous hockey analytics guys but no one really says like oh well, the Capitals were like a huge analytics team whenever they won the Stanley Cup I, I think it's just having that information or having someone who knows how to handle that information is like such a it's a huge part of the a lot of teams success in hockey but it's also really hard to pin down like oh well hey you know they they signed Dougie Hamilton to this contract when they could have signed someone else because, but they, you know, the analyst guys really liked him. I, I think in general, you know, they have, <laughs> I would say they have, they haven't made very many bad decisions since, since those guys have been around. And I'm probably, I'm willing to bet that, that they have, have, have played a role in that. Let's put, let's put it that way. They were, you know, there were some questionable decisions in the early part of their, the devil's rebuilding process where whether it was like, you know, trading for PK Subban didn't really necessarily work out as well as they wanted it to, or you know, going after a certain free, you know, certain free agents and not getting them. But I, I, yeah, I think in general, it would be hard to say that those guys haven't had a positive impact on 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 what has happened in the past couple of years because they have really since the summer of 2019, when they had a couple of you know personnel additions that just didn't really work out. The past couple of seasons, it's really been building towards this, and they've added you know a bunch of really good players. They made a couple of great trades uh, to sort of build up one of the best defense cores in the league, and now they're just kind of rolling. Uh, Josh Harris with the 76ers has spent a lot of money on infrastructure. Has he done the same with the Devils? Yeah, I think that was a that was part of it, too, was you know, beyond expanding the analytics department. They definitely invested in other areas, too. Like that, that's a, I mean, in hockey, there's a hard salary cap, so you, know, you can skirt around the rules a little bit, but you really can't do a whole lot with the roster more than another, but the, that's sort of the thing in the NHL is that there's no salary cap on other stuff. Like you can spend and spend and spend on hockey operations people. You can spend in, on a new weight room or just, just whatever ways you can sort sort of spend to try to gain little incremental advantages on, on things. And I, I think they have done what they can in some of those areas. They've, they're also like doing like real estate deals around the arena. And like, I think there's, there's like, stuff coming around the arena that, that hasn't been there before i personally have liked downtown newark but other lots of devils fans have not <laughs> so like you know there maybe some of that stuff is going to play into this future success of, at least financially of the franchise did you interview josh harris or interact with him much uh during your time covering the devils like i'm trying to think i mean i covered them for whatever it was, three and a half years, four years. I mean, I, I think I interviewed him three times, four times. He, I think he, he spoke, he basically spoke at like the big, the big things. Like whenever they fired Shiro, he talked whenever he, whenever they signed, whenever they traded for PK Subban, he talked and he did. I think there was like one interview that I did with him that was 
at like a charity event thing. Um, so yeah, he didn't. Uh, yeah, he didn't. Lo- he definitely didn't love talking to the media. He didn't. There were a couple of the times when he talked to the media where I think the general takeaway was like, what? Did he didn't. He just didn't seem very comfortable, and didn't. didn't people really weren't exactly. There was there was a lot of like, does this timeline make any sense? Kind of thing. But the people that that worked for him that I would talk to inside the organization would always be like, man, he's, you know, he's like really sharp and has this like vision and everything. And so, I mean, the people below him seemed to have a pretty general positive opinion of, of him in that matter. Just, yeah, he didn't really, I mean, he spoke, like I said, I think maybe interviewed him three or four times. And the other guy, David Blitzer, I, he, did, he did a Zoom call whenever they hired Lindy Ruff because Josh wasn't available. Last one for you. Uh, would you say that most Devils fans are a thumbs up or a thumbs down on Josh Harris as Devils owner? <laughs> um, if you had asked me that question in like the summer of 2020, <laughs> you would have got a different answer. Uh, I, th- I think in general, like the smart fans who knew that the, the rebuild thing was, was going to take time, I don't think they've ever really been like, oh man, these guys are terrible owners or anything. But uh, I would say they're, they, I'm sure as of today, they have a, a pretty positive Q rating among amongst the fan base there there was never really a point where it was like oh the you know the, these guys aren't willing to spend the money I, I think that was one thing like there was a couple of points along the way where ray shiro even said like i need i have to tell my owners not to spend money right now because we don't need to spend money right now we're still rebuilding but then conversely like i had just talked to tom fitzgerald after they they traded for essentially the Sharks' best player, one of the, one of their two best players. And, you know, just I, I had asked him about the whole process. Like, how do you guys go from, you know, just way down at the bottom, because he was Shiro's assistant GM pretty much the entire time, to now where you're adding all these guys and look like a Stanley Cup contender. And he was like, it's just been all been ownership. Like, they're, they were the ones that said, yes, go ahead and get Dougie Hamilton. They were the ones that said, go ahead and trade for, for John Marino and, and trade for Timo Meyer. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think... It'd be, pretty, it'd be pretty hard to find any Devils fans right now who aren't happy with the, the direction of the franchise and the people who are in charge of it. A positive direction. Uh, that's what we want as Commanders fans. Uh, Corey Massasak of The Athletic, a very good insight on how our incoming Commanders owner, Josh Harris, has done as owner of the Devils. Uh, Corey, thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. So the Nationals' best relief pitcher this season has been Hunter Harvey. Uh, A question with the Nats this season has been, when might Hunter Harvey supplant Kyle Finnegan as the Nats' closer, as uh, Finnegan is having a very shaky season? Now, of course, just because you are the closer doesn't mean that you are necessarily pitching in the biggest spots in terms of relief pitching, right? Uh, The highest leverage moments, the most uh, important moments uh, for a team's bullpen in a game Uh, can come in the eighth inning, the seventh inning, not always the ninth inning, but you get the idea. Who the closer is, is a big deal, at least in a traditional sense. Tuesday evening, we saw the change. Uh, We saw Hunter Harvey used as the Nats closer over Kyle Finnegan, but uh, (laughs) that change may not last for long. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday evening did overcome a 2-1 eighth inning deficit. That was really good to see. But ultimately, the Nats suffered a 5-4 walk-off loss at the Miami Marlins in game one of a three-game series. So the Nats fell to 18-24. and The Marlins improved to 21-21, and despite having a run differential of minus 55, far worse than the Nats' run differential of minus 21. 
But Nets manager Davey Martinez in this game uh, used two relievers. They were Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey, and they were used in that order. Uh, Kyle Finnegan was used to pitch the bottom of the eighth with the Nats having just taken a 4-2 lead, and the Marlins numbers 5, 6, and 7 batters do up. Uh, he did have problems once again. Uh, Finnegan gave up a first pitch leadoff single by Brian De La Cruz to left center field, and then gave up an infield single by Gene Segura on a uh, swinging bunt toward third base on an 0-2 pitch. So I don't fault Finnegan for the infield single there. Uh, and he did then strike out Peyton Burdick, despite, by the way, initially committing a pitch clock violation. Uh, and then Finnegan generated an inning-ending 5-4-3 double play on a grounder by Nick Fortes. So ultimately, a scoreless bottom of the eighth from Kyle Finnegan. Then came Hunter Harvey, who, again, had been terrific this season. But he blew the save chance in this bottom of the ninth inning, uh, during which he allowed three runs and recorded just two outs. Uh, Now, Harvey retired the first two batters he faced. He was well on his way to getting the save. But then came trouble. Uh, Harvey gave up a two-out double by Garrett Cooper off the right center field wall. Harvey then gave up a two-out RBI single by Luisa Rise to right field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3. And then came the big blow, Harvey giving up a two-out, walk-off, full-count, two-run homer by Jorge Soler to left field for a 5-4 Marlins win. The Marlins, with this victory, improved to an improbable 13-1 and in one-run games in this 2023 regular season. How are the Marlins 21-21 and with a run differential of minus 55, 13-1 and in one-run games? Uh, The shame of Hunter Harvey's blown save on Tuesday night is that the blown save wasted another great start by Josiah Gray and wasted a nice comeback by the Nats. Uh, Josiah Gray in this 5-4 walk-off loss at the Marlins was good for a seventh time in eight starts as he lasted for seven innings for a second consecutive start. Uh, He allowed two runs, one earned in seven innings. He allowed seven hits, two doubles, and five singles. He issued three walks, uh, but one of them was intentional. He recorded five strikeouts, and he threw a lot of strikes. Uh, He over 104 pitches, threw 70 strikes versus just 34 balls. Uh, Gray used four different pitches. He burst at cast threw his four-seam fastball on 36% of his pitches, uh, his slider on 30% of his pitches, his cutter on 20% of his pitches, and his curveball on 14% of his pitches. Uh, The runs that Gray allowed came in the bottom of the second, but this was a quirky slash fluky inning. Uh, Gray allowed two runs on back-to-back one-out singles, then a one-out walk, and then what was ruled as an error by Gray, he, off a one-out bases-loaded grounder by Joey Wendell, had to make a leaping catch of a high throw from shortstop C.J. Abrams on what could have been the back end of a double play. Uh, Gray ended up losing the ball via a collision with Wendell at first base and somehow got charged with an error out of all of this. But Josiah Gray now, in this 2023 regular season, nine starts, an ERA of 273. How about that? And how about this? He has allowed just five home runs. And remember, he in his first start of this regular season, uh, the 7-1 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on April 1st, allowed five runs in five innings, including giving up three home runs. So he, over his last eight starts, has given up just two home runs. This is the same guy who, over his first two major league regular seasons, 2021 and 2022, gave up a staggering 57 home runs. 
in 219 and a third innings. Uh, and then with the Nats' comeback on Tuesday evening, so they overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit with a three-run eighth. Uh, Jamer Candelario, very nice game for him. He is an ad starting third baseman at number four batter, got on base four times. Uh, he went three for three with a double, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. Uh, Candelario in the Nats, three-run eighth, a one-out first pitch, RBI single to right field to tie the game at two. But how about his other three plate appearances in this game? Uh, Candelario in the top of the second, a leadoff full count, opposite field single to right field to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance in which he was down in the count at 1.02. Candelario in the top of the fourth drew a two-out eight-pitch walk, and Candelario in the top of the sixth, a two-out opposite field double toward the right field corner. Uh, Jamer Candelario is not having a good season, but he was good on Tuesday evening. Uh, the biggest hit for the Nats in that three-run eighth came from Dominic Smith. Uh, he is the Nats' starting first baseman and number seven batter. Went two for four with a two-run single and another single. Uh, Smith in that Nats three-run eighth, a two-out, bases-loaded, tie-breaking two-run single up the middle for a 4-2 Nats lead. Uh, Dom Smith now, in this month of May, has an on-base percentage of 458. Only has a slugging percentage of 388, but that 458 on base is excellent. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday evening did have a home run. Uh, Lane Thomas, he homered again. Uh, he is an ad starting right fielder and number one batter, one for five with a solo homer and four strikeouts. Uh, so he was not good in four of his five plate appearances, but he was quite good in one of those plate appearances. Uh, Thomas in an ad's one run six, a leadoff opposite field home run to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. Uh, Lane Thomas, in this month of May, has hit five home runs. Uh, he, for the month, is slugging 6-33 and has a 3.55 on-base percentage. So a disappointing loss for the Nats on Tuesday evening, but some good stuff, too, even beyond this game, because also regarding the Nats on Tuesday evening, a start for Cole Henry. Uh, Cole Henry made his first outing in a minor league game since undergoing surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS, last summer. And he looked really good. Uh, Henry for the low-A Fredericksburg Nationals, three scoreless innings with five strikeouts. He gave up just one hit, which was a double. He issued no walks. He threw 33 pitches. You ready for this? 27 strikes versus just six walks. Uh, Henry last summer became the third Nats pitcher in recent years to need surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, which, as we have come to know all too well, is a career destroyer for pitchers. Uh, Henry underwent his surgery last August 28th, uh, but starting pitcher Steven Strasburg, uh, he on July 28th, 2021, underwent his surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, reliever Will Harris, remember him? He in June 2021 underwent his surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, Cole Henry, at the time of this news that he needed this surgery, was the Nats' number six prospect per MLB pipeline, and he had really been ascending. The Nats, on June 2nd, 2022, promoted Henry from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. Uh, Henry, at the time of the promotion, had been excellent for Harrisburg in the 2022 season. Seven starts, 23 and two-thirds innings, an ERA of 0.76, a whip of 0.59 and a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.2. Uh, the Nats took Henry in the second round of the 2020 MLB draft out of LSU. Uh, this season, 
is his age 23 season. TOS has ruined Steven Strasburg and also Will Harris, but those guys are in their 30s. Perhaps Cole Henry being so young will make it so that he is not ruined by TOS. Uh, I sure hope so. Game two for the Nats at the Marlins. Uh, Wednesday evening at 640, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles in their 9-5 loss to the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Monday evening were, shall we say, victimized by Angels starting pitcher and designated hitter Shohei Otani. He, in that game, got on base five times, four for five with a three-run homer, a triple, two singles, and a walk. Uh, the homer was a moonshot. Otani, in a five-run Angels fourth, smashed a one-out three-run homer to right center field for a 7-4 Angels lead. The homer went a projected 456 feet for StatCast. Well, the O's on Tuesday evening held the great Shohei Otani to 0 for 4 with a strikeout. And not so coincidentally, the O's won that game. A 7-3 win over the Angels in Game 2 of a four-game series as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right. Good to hear from Joe Angel of an Orioles win over the Angels. The win column of the O's now are 27 and 15, second best record in the American League. Dean Kramer was the Orioles starting pitcher on Tuesday evening, and he was at least a solid for a third consecutive start. Uh, Kramer allowed three runs in five and two-thirds innings. He wasn't outstanding, but he was solid. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued a wild pitch, but he had four strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a lot of strikes. Uh, Dean Kramer over 95 pitches, 63 strikes versus just 32 balls, and Kramer on Tuesday evening did what he did despite a 31-pitch first inning. Uh, this was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Dean Kramer. Yeah, huge, and just kind of unlucky there with that ground ball that went through in a, in a bad spot for us, but, uh, you know, after that first inning, thought the mix, the pitch mix was fantastic. Um, no walks in the night, no walks as a club on the night, that's outstanding, and um, love the way he attacked hitters and, and changed speeds, but great job by Dean. Yes, it was. Uh, Dean Kramer's previous two outings had been really good and had come against really good teams. A 2-1 win over the major league-leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Wednesday evening, May 10th. Uh, Kramer in that game, six scoreless innings. Uh, a 9-4 win at the then National League-leading Atlanta Braves on May 5th. Kramer in that game, one run in six innings. He had been really struggling, but he has been a lot better lately. Uh, more from Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Dean Kramer. Uh, this on why Kramer has been better over these last three starts. Well, just the, you know, the strike-throwing ability and the working ahead in the count and um, confidence, building confidence. A couple good starts against really good teams. And, and uh, you know, I think that he'd really turn the corner in Atlanta for me. That was the... That was where you noticed the big difference of what just the presence on the mound was different. Um, the overall package of poise and and you could tell he was moving on to the next pitch. Didn't let bad things get to him. Um, 
and really great focus and just really good preparing really well now and, and just learn how to be a pro. Well, the Orioles' bullpen on Tuesday evening, for the most part, was good. Brian Baker had some problems, but Cito Perez and Yanir Cano, they combined for three perfect innings with three strikeouts. Uh, Perez tossed two perfect innings with two strikeouts. Uh, Cano, the Cano show, a perfect top of the ninth with a strikeout. Uh, offensively, the O's totaled nine hits in just one walk, uh, struck out 12 times, but five of the nine hits were extra base hits. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, came off the bench as a pinch hitter, and then DH, and went two for two with a two-run homer and a double. Uh, He, in an Orioles three-run sixth, blasted a one-out two-run homer to center field for a 7-3 Orioles lead. Uh, The homer winner projected 433 feet for StatCast. Not quite the 456 feet that Shohei Otani covered with his home run on Monday evening, but still pretty good. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle for this 2023 regular season has an Orioles best nine home runs. His odd base percentage is just a 279, but his slugging percentage is 483. Uh, Some Orioles news from Tuesday morning. Cole Irvin is back. Uh, the O's on Tuesday morning announced that they had recalled starting pitcher Cole Irvin from AAA Norfolk. Uh, the O's on April 14th announced that they had optioned Irvin to Norfolk. Uh, he really struggled over three starts for the O's at the major league level this regular season, but he now is back in the majors. Uh, the O's this past January 26 announced having acquired Irvin via trade with the Oakland A's. Uh, he was a solid pitcher for the A's these last two seasons. Uh, Cole Irvin for the A's over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons made at least 30 starts in each season and accumulated an ERA plus of 95 over 359 and a third innings. ERA plus is ERA that's adjusted for a player's league and home ballpark. Uh, 100 is average. Uh, 95 is slightly below average. Uh, He was a big disappointment in April. Uh, We shall see how Cole Irvin does now. Game three against the Angels is on Wednesday evening at 6.35. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 575. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday evening at 640 of Game 2 of a three-game series at the Miami Marlins. The O's on Wednesday evening at 635 have Game 3 of a four-game series against the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.